Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening, buddy? <laughs> same old, same old. Still trying to acclimate to the heat. Yeah, it's been <laughs> hot the last uh, couple of weeks, eh? Yeah. I hate complaining about the weather. So typical Canadian, but damn it, I'm just not used to it. <laughs> is your air conditioner on yet? Yeah, I've been using it during the day, turning it off at night, opening the windows. Yeah, we just turned it on and haven't turned it. Actually, I turned it off today. Yeah? Because it's actually uh, cooled off a bit. A bit. But, yeah, what? I mean, it's been pretty hot. So. I haven't used it to cut the humidity. Yeah. Just, even if just for that. Well, and I'm, my office is in the basement. Mm-hmm. So it's been, like, really cold down there. Oh, yeah. And then you walk upstairs and you're yeah. like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going through the thermal climb. Yeah. As you yeah. climb the stairs, like, oh, I can feel it. It's just hot on my head right now. <laughs> yeah, run upstairs, grab some food, head back downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you get any paddling done this last week? I did not. We actually had intended on heading out today for a quick paddle. And uh, just one thing led to another. We ended up going for a bike ride instead with the kids. and so that, But that was good. Actually, we're recording today being Canada Day. Yeah. The eve of the of uh, the podcast coming up yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. So Canada Day. I noticed, uh, I'm watching social media. There's been a lot of people out on the water today. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people. It was nice to see people all get out, right? Yeah. It's, uh, I think what it is, it's uh, people are just running out for that one day. Normally, people just go camping and it's not such a big thing. But the one day midweek, it's uh, it's very unusual. A lot of companies like your company, you you shift, they shift theirs. They sh- they've Friday. shifted it to Friday. Yeah. I had to work today and then I'm off Friday. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of weird. And Yeah. You know, um, seeing everybody doing their stuff. Now, the Durham Region Kayak Club, which I think I sent you a Facebook uh, uh, invite to that. Okay, I'll check. They do a yearly um, hunt for the Juno paddle. So they did did that July 1st every year out of Bowmanville, which is like five minutes from your house. Yes, I've been down. I've paddled over top of it. Uh, The one time I tried to scuba dive on it, I, I couldn't find it. Uh, you just have to know where to go because there's not really much left. Uh, there's uh, there's really nothing of note. It just kind of looks like a bunch of logs on maybe the that's why now. they call it the hunt. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> annual hunt for the Juno yeah. paddle. Uh, what is it? It lies about ten feet of water, about a hundred feet from the shore. It was a steam barge. Was 114 feet long, 27 feet wide, nine feet draft. Built in 1885, rebuilt 11 years later when it was stretched by about 24 feet, and it sunk in a storm in 1915. So saw a few pictures uh, people posted there. It looked like a nice little group, and it looked like great weather for paddling out on the lake. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. it was well, it was a nice day today. The water, it, so Lake Ontario, it's nice paddling in this kind of weather on Lake Ontario because mm-hmm. the... Uh, until the lake flips, it, it still runs about 10, 12 degrees. So it's still cold. You have to be careful. Yeah. But it's nice to be able to cool off, you know, dip your hands in the water, splash your face. So I imagine a lot of people would have been doing that today. Kayaks, they would, a couple of people would have been rolling, right? So it's, uh, but then later in summer, July, August, it lake flips and the water is about 24 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I was, I was hoping to get to that this year, but then my company said no we're working <laughs> wednesday and <laughs> too bad so you're gonna have friday off so <laughs> i may just go out there one day myself and check it out yeah let's do it you'll get it out there and yeah check it out yeah i've got a kayak let's do it yeah um what else is happening oh fire ban 
I was talking to Jerry Vandiver today. Okay. Today, yesterday, yesterday, today. Uh, apparently, Boundary Waters has a fire ban on right now. It's that dry, eh? It's gotten that dry. So hmm. now we talked about my trip a couple weeks back. Um, all the newbies, the front country campers going back country. Yes. You have the front country experience in the back country. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Now, there was a forest fire in Algonquin Park June 21st by Burnt Island Lake. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I couldn't find much information on it. They just post that there was a mm-hmm. fire. When you go there, the link they provided, it just shows current fires. Yeah. So, my question and my concern after my weekend. Exactly. Are all the newbies going backcountry going to follow the rules if Algonquin puts in fire a ban. fire ban? Well, from your experience, it doesn't sound like they were following the rules regarding cans. Mm-hmm. Right? Cans and, yeah, and cutting mm-hmm. green wood. Cutting green trees. Because and, at, at yeah. a front country campsite, like the wardens drive around and they keep an and eye on they things, keep right? an eye on stuff and but you yeah. can't do that in the backcountry. Backcountry, the, the yeah. wardens aren't you know the rangers nope. aren't coming around no. and checking every site. And for Burnt Island, you have to go through uh, through canoe and the Joe, little Joe, big Joe, mm-hmm. and so you're quite a ways in. Like there, you're not going to get a. Uh, I've seen wardens on like uh, um, on the Joes. I've seen them on canoe, but I've never seen wardens far enough in on like uh, once you get to. Uh, like Otter Slide and Burn Island and stuff like that. It's, it's yeah. I don't think in. they make their their it's too many portages. Too many. Too far. Yeah. yeah. So that's my big concern. Is are we looking at some issues this year? Mm-hmm. But hopefully, with things opening up now, that they'll all revert to the front country. <laughs> yeah, all the Yahoos will keep in the front country. Yeah, yeah. because that's going to be a massive deal if all of a sudden well look at the damage just on your one site alone so i'm guessing that that is duplicated on over half the sites in there right now because yeah. you have so many front country campers doing the front country experience in the back country yeah and, and they're not caring yeah it's it's the, you're not following the normal uh you know guidelines for leave no trace and mm-hmm. and caring for the back country and stuff like that right well hopefully they uh you know, put two and two together and figure things out. Yeah, yeah, I guess we're not having a fire tonight. Or when they find out there's a fire ban, they just don't go. Yeah. Because that's yeah. that's a lot of people I know that do not like going back country if they can't have a fire at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm give or take. I don't really care if I have a fire or not. It's nice I, at all. It's but... nice to have a fire. I like to cook my evening meal over a fire. Yeah. You yeah, know, that sort that. of stuff. If I'm not just doing the dehydrated or freeze-dried, mm-hmm. you know, just add water sort of thing. Like if I got fresh meat for the first couple of days, depending on how long I'm going, yeah. you know, I like to do that steak or chicken or pork or whatever yeah. over the fire yeah. Yeah. and then have a nice fire at the end of the night. And especially if you're in a group chit chat, have a little beverage around the fire mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it's not, it's not a deal breaker for me on a trip. Yeah, exactly. Not you me know? neither. But yeah. for a lot of people it is. So hopefully if they do get the little notification saying there's a fire ban, no fires in, in the park or even in anywhere in Ontario. They uh, maybe yeah. keep it close to home and don't go. <laughs> you can only hope. Yeah. Because that's, that's my big fear is, you know, like, ah, we'll have a fire because there's no one here to enforce it. And it gets out of hand because exactly. they get out of hand fast. It does. It doesn't take much. So, Especially if, if, you know, if you're a Yahoo and you're not following normal rules and you're not keeping your campsite clean and who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, you sent a little video oh, article yeah. clip. Yes. Yeah, three hundred and forty-one days in isolation. That was it. Was a 
it's it's really fascinating. The uh, so I saw this. Well, I saw uh, uh, MKC posted it. I saw that Black Feather posted the story. Um, I saw a couple of people shared. Kevin Callan made comments about it. So it's uh, it was uh, this received a lot of traffic. But you know, there's not much going on, so people are pretty excited for anything to yeah, distract anything them. Anything to do distract them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Squirrel. this this exactly. This story here, it's um it's uh Joanne and John Moore. And so it's uh, back in the late 70s, 76, 77, these two met. They shared common interests and and he read a book. I can't remember the book that he read. But uh he read the book and then convinced her, got her to read the book. And the two of them says... The Dangerous River. The Dangerous River. So the two of them read this book and, and it, it immediately grabbed them. They said, you know, let's do this. So it took them a year of planning. They got married. Then it took a year of planning. And then in 1979, a float plane dropped them too and 2,000 pounds of gear on the, uh, the upper Nahani. Or was it Nahani Bend? It was... On yeah, the, the, the Nahani. The Nahani. Somewhere's on the Nahani. And so they dropped them there. They they made all the arrangements with government for for lend lease land and, and stuff like that. So they you know, they had a contract to for Crown Land living. And <laughs> they they built in the first season, they built themselves a cabin. Yeah, over the summer. Right over the summer. And then they lived so they lived there in a tent and then in the cabin and then winter came. They lived it through the winter and and uh and then, so they, they, she wrote a book, Joanne wrote a book about her experience. It was more of a journal, journal yeah. type book. And, uh, but it's, it's fascinating to, she read a couple pages out of it in the little video clip and Globe and Mail video feature. And, uh, so the two of them spent 341 days in the backcountry. And, and where that sort of becomes significant for us as Paddling Adventures Radio is, uh, it's right on a major, uh, major uh paddling river it's yeah uh, you walk out of your cabin in the morning and the south nahani's right there right there yeah. yeah yeah and uh so i was reading from so blackfeather made note of the fact that uh that routinely if it fits into their schedule they'll either visit or stay over in the cabin at night it's still in service it's to not this a day. small cabin either i know it's incredible what they built so yeah you see the outline there's uh it's not even just a square cabin there's an offshoot off the back of it and uh and so they you know everything was like the, the, there was no standard building material they didn't have shingles or anything like that mm-hmm. so the roof is uh they use small spruce. small spruce yeah. poles and uh i'm not sure what they covered it with but i noticed a couple of pictures from the spring before they left that they were they had some tarps covering some leaky spots i guess and uh but then in the spring right at the first breakup of the river they loaded up their canoe with 600 pounds of uh, gear and, and supplies and, and headed, headed, uh, out. headed out. So the first in summer of 79, they, they, they headed up there. They had two weeks to settle in and then start building their cabin. And by before winter, the cabin was done. Completely and they were, ex- finished. they were exploring and everything, the whole area. Yeah. And that'd be my big thing is... Like, that'd be awesome, being able to explore everywhere. It's your front yard. Yeah. The Nahani River is your front yard. So let's paddle up the river, paddle down the river. Let's check Fishing and... Hiking. They yeah. hiked some ridges, and they found some open areas. And the, the pictures that you see in the uh, the gold mail feature are just fascinating. 
the stuff that they that they uh, show of their adventures, right? It's <laughs> and it's so exciting to see that the fact that if I ever do run the Nahani, I'm definitely stopping by and checking out this cabin. So my question is this, and I know you have the same question: If you go in the summer of '79, you spend all summer building your cabin and getting things together, yeah. and then you spend the winter there. Why would they not spend the following summer and come out? Yeah. At, like, at the end of summer sort of thing I guess, instead of uh, first thing the breakup of ice. I guess we'll have to read the book. Yeah. Uh, Nahani Trailhead by Joanne Moore. Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, it's basically it's her journals uh, published in 1980, which would have been the year they came out. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I, I would have stayed the whole or most of the following summer, like the spring, the summer, and then near the end of the summer, knowing how long it's going to take me to paddle out. You know, I would mm-hmm. I would have stayed in there that much longer. Yes, exactly. So I, I, I wonder, that. yeah, I wonder why they came out that. Uh, I'm curious. Maybe it was a marriage saving a marriage thing, thing. <laughs> or maybe they only planned on doing the summer and the winter, and then they they were committed to other things, know, college, university, work, or yeah. whatever, right? But talk about an adventure, eh? Oh, I know. I mean, like, I, yeah, I know so many yeah. people that when they finished high school, oh, I'm going to go backpack Europe or I'm going to go check yeah. this out, that out sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, when you're that young and you decide, well, we're going to get married and we're going to go live in the Yukon for a year. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, no. We're going back and yeah. building a, ca- we're a cabin. We're isolated. Oh, There's, okay. Yeah. And it was isolated because they talk yeah. about how isolated it was. Well, it's not just isolated. So think about nowadays we have like Spot, InReach, you know, all these global features mm-hmm. and sat phones and they had nothing. So unless somebody happened to fly over it and see if they're alive, then there's Nobody. no safety net. For Absolutely 341 no days. safety net. Right. All it takes is like, you know, a trip or a fall to break an arm or a leg and or skin a shin or throw an axe through the uh, through your leg, chopping wood or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, it's so you'd, you'd have to obviously you'd be a little bit more careful in anything that you do because of the isolation. But uh, I just I just think about how the, the peace and quiet and the isolation and. And being away from people, and I, I would really like to experience something like that on that level, that scale. Now, I think I would be happy doing that with one other person. <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to do it solo. I mean, you think oh, no, about Dick no. Prenicky, right? Dick Prenicky up in, uh, what was that, Alaska, that he did his... Oh, he built a cabin. He built a cabin yes, by yes, himself. Yes. Yeah. Now, he did everything by hand with, you know... It took him a long time, too. It took him, what, two two seasons. That's why I'm wondering, like, how do they do this in the first yeah. year? Well, then we, there's part of the video, they show a picture, and he's got a nice handy-dandy chainsaw sitting there. Yes, yes. So, so which, that okay, that really makes that a helps. difference. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're zip, 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 zip. All those trees are down, and you're building your yeah. your cabin. You're not having to saw or use an axe and, yeah. and whatnot. But, I mean, Dick Prenicky, he sat up there for... Years, decades mm-hmm. by himself. Yep. You know, uh, living off the land and, and building his stuff and whatnot while these two went together. So I, I got to think there's pros and cons of both. 
You know, one day <laughs> you're, you're wishing you were alone, and other days you'd be wishing that you, you had, had somebody to, talk to. to chat with, right? <laughs> you're going stir Well, it's crazy. also the safety factor. Just the simplest things of uh, somebody to do first aid on you or something yeah. right, if you become injured or, or somebody to save you, somebody to rescue you if you get into trouble. So it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they do talk about the uh, some of the difficulties they went through. There's uh, there was the one part where uh, she didn't like doing dishes. She always cooked. And he was always grumpy because uh, he's got to wash all the dishes, so he'd wash yeah. them up. So they 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 kind of fine. We'll switch duties. So it was his responsibility to cook, and she would take care of the tend the fire, and she would do the dishes. And uh, so so after all of his complaining about her, you know, leaving piles of dishes for him. He made breakfast and lunch, and by the time lunch was done, there was not a single clean dish in the entire cabin, yeah. and then she got really grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> then they had a very spicy afternoon and evening until they finally talked it out, and uh, then they decided that, okay, we'll switch back to our normal duties because our marriage is not going to survive this. <laughs> and he says he prefers doing dishes to cooking anyway. Yes. <laughs> but see, I'll do that. At, I mean, I do it more here at home than, than anything, but... I'll use like one spoon to stir like five different dishes. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's all ending up in the same spot yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So you know, and at the end, there's like, there's only a small pile of dishes there. Well, it's because yeah. I reused that. I reused that. I reused that. Yeah. Or you know, like if I'm cutting, I made uh, something the other night there, and I had to chop up a whole bunch of vegetables, put them on a plate, dump them in, and then I use that plate to eat off of, right? As yeah. opposed to using two separate dishes. One to eat and one to just put vegetables on until I threw them in a pot sort of thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, little things after a while, I think, would start to get on each other's nerves up there. It would. And especially considering cabin fever in the mm-hmm. middle of winter, like it was like minus 50. So it's like, yeah, you can go down to the river and collect some water or collect some snow to melt on the stove. But you are basically you're hoping for sleep so you don't have to talk to a person, right? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I just need to get to I'm sleep. I'm going out for a walk. Well, and <laughs> I'm they, going stir crazy. He said that they walked up and down the river during the winter. Yes. So I don't know if they were actually on the river. Well, I'm sure they would have been on the river because it was it frozen. It was frozen solid, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they would have had snowshoe tracks, well-worn trails and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that they would go for a walk and not have to worry about things. You're not worrying about bears because they're all hibernating and yeah, yeah. and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you know what? But yeah, minus fifty degrees. Now, was that Fahrenheit? Um, I think that was Fahrenheit. In 1980, did we we switched over to when did Canada switch over to? That was the 70s. Yeah, to metric. Yeah, I'm assuming because they the, you well they're telling the story. Well, but I think they're, they're telling the story too, in they? 2020. Yeah. So well, you and I, you're right there too. Yeah. So yeah, it was cold. I'm guessing, yeah, regardless, <laughs> minus 50 is cold or Fahrenheit or Celsius. So, yeah. So, yeah, in the winter, dealing with that as well and, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know what, we should, uh, I'm going to write a note here. Let's, let's post that video so people can, uh, yes, check yes. it out. We'll post it later on, on Thursday. Post. I got to start writing me notes. <laughs> um, I think that's about all that's been happening lately. All the little little things, anyway. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that we don't want to talk about that's going on. 
So we'll just leave that in the background. Tons of stuff that we don't <laughs> want to talk about that's going on. We've been watching a lot of uh, Food Network shows, especially that diners, drive-ins, and dives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Just some of the food you're like, I just like to follow him around and <laughs> eat. Eat. So the kids, the, we, we watch those too. Like uh, me and the kids, we'd love to sit down and watch all the food shows. Yeah. There's there's a couple favorites that they have. And, and it, it's funny that, you know, seven-year-old Beckett is like, no, I want to watch this. And it's like. It's, uh, they're making food. Yeah. <laughs> he's fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be a chef when he grows Maybe. up. Maybe. You never know. He does ask me. He ask, He often asks if he can help me cook. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, go start your barbecue, son. Yes. You do what? Eight? He's seven. He's seven? He's seven. <laughs> <laughs> hey, start him early, buddy. Yeah. Start him early. Uh, let's take a quick break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about uh, an article that was written that you brought to my attention. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yeah, we'll chat about that. Be right back. Hi, this is Dark Sprest. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So, Derek, you sent me a, uh, an article that you found written by Cliff Jacobson, one of our favorite people. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Cliff Jacobson wrote this for paddling.com. It's, uh, he goes through a list of uh, paddling mistakes. He calls it the nine costly canoeing mistakes. So, it, he just goes on to document how you can go wrong if you're going to go wrong if you're going to do something wrong if you're going to make a mistake these are the, the uh some of the most costly mistakes that you can make while paddling yeah and i've i've gone through them and i'm i got to agree with them oh yeah absolutely definitely and so i all of these this single sided so all of these it's um i've learned any one of these lessons individually myself i've i've either seen people make these mistakes or I've made the mistakes myself. And so it's, uh, it, it can be a, a bit of a problem if you make these mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, learn from Cliff Jacobson. Yeah, definitely. So why don't you do the first one? Because uh, I've not done this first one, but I know that you have. I have actually done this one. Carrying a pack on your chest, double packing, uh, carrying two packs at once is the rule on wilderness canoe trips. Some people carry one pack on their back and a second on their chest, supposedly to balance the load. But a front pack obscures the view of the trail and encourages falls and sprains. Uh, he says, I double stack packs on my back and tote them with a tump line. Uh, rule on my canoe trips is no packs on your chest ever. Now, I've only ever done this once, and it was with a day pack on my front. Yeah, I saw that picture yeah. of that. 
So it's not it's not like a massive pack. Yes, on the, it's small. I would never do a massive pack. But yeah. yeah, and I was, saw a picture of Mackenzie doing it too. Yeah, he was being a boob. He was, <laughs> he was trying to outdo his dad. Yeah, like Cliff says, he uh, I do the same thing as Cliff. Like if I and I did it on my most recent trip to Kingscott is uh, I had I couldn't fit everything into the. Uh, into the canoe pack so i had a day pack with a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. in it like water snacks and first aid kit and whatever so that was just strapped to the top of my canoe pack yeah and it was it just because everything wouldn't fit into the canoe pack i don't know why i have so much gear doing a solo trip <sighs> it's one of those things i just cannot pare down equipment and it's funny i all the gear that i had i had a rather large bag of food items mm-hmm. and I maybe ate five or ten percent of it. <laughs> yeah, that's my big thing. Used to be too much food and too many clothes. Yeah, oh, and yeah. now it's just like yeah, my my the amount of clothes I bring is like next to nothing yeah. anymore. Uh, the food, yeah, that's that's gone way down as well. But then yeah. I've realized that I don't eat as much when I'm out there. So yeah, me too. Like when I'm but, exerting myself and out in the heat, I, I lose my appetite. Yeah, and uh, I still snack and stuff, but I don't eat big meals, right? And see, on my big canoe pack, I've put a couple of um, heavy duty carabiners on the back. Yeah, so I can strap stuff to the pack as I'm if I'm portaging. Okay. So I'll 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 strap different like heavier items on the back. Yeah. And then yeah, because the straps that go over the top of the canoe pack are so long, I can tuck stuff into there mm-hmm. and then use those straps as extra tie down. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, I'll have a much taller um canoe pack that may be even taller to my head. So yeah. I don't have to bring stuff on my shoulders. Yes. Yeah. The only time like I said, the one time I was doing the the thingy on the front, I was had a canoe as well. Oh, okay. Right? So, yeah, because you can't have your pack too tall because the canoe sits on the pack and then yeah. that's just uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely try not to do the double pack thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you can, like like he said, you can you can not see a rock and, or not see a root and trip over it, right? Yeah, definitely. You got to see what your feet are doing. Definitely. So the second item is uh, an unreliable back ferry. So in it, he's talking about how um, people, they just, they don't really bother with it. They, they tend to just do front ferries, but he said in a, in a clinch situation, you don't have time to swing the boat around. You need room. You need space. Mm-hmm. You need, uh, you need eddy out and then to, to be able to point up stream and then do a front eddy across, right? So he, uh, he said one example he gave of having a reliable back ferry is uh, him and his wife were running a long rapid on the Manitoba Seal River. And uh, he said from the front of the boat, his wife, Susie, she suddenly screamed, Falls! <laughs> so, <laughs> so, ah! <laughs> anyway, so they're about to go over. They're in the tongue of the river, about to go over a fall. And uh, he said there was a Volkswagen-sized boulder six feet away on his left. And he just screamed, Back! And they, so they, uh, they, they dug in, they momentarily, the canoe stopped in its tracks and then he pried the stern around and ferried over to the dock, over to the rock. And uh, he said one more yard uh, ahead, if she hadn't screamed in time, if he hadn't reacted in time, they would have gone over the falls. So he's like, he's saying that, you know, if you're going to canoe a wild river and on some of these wild rivers, you can't scout every meter of a river sometimes if it's a new river and it's a wild river then you don't have that opportunity so you have to be on your toes and be prepared to react to what's coming up mm-hmm. and uh, i saw that evidenced a few times when uh, northern scavenger did the uh, newfoundland labrador or the uh, quebec labrador 
uh, Land, uh, their trip, right? Yeah. And so they, there's a, a couple instances where you, you just can't scout the river. You're doing like a kilometer or two, and if unless you intend to take in ten days to do a kilometer of whitewater, then then uh, you, you know you know. Just <laughs> walking ahead and looking at everything, you don't have the time, so you have to take some chances. And and they paid the price a couple times, but it's it's one of those things. If you have a couple tools in your tool chest, like a, a reliable back ferry, then uh, sometimes that can save you uh, from out of a sticky situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. An over ambitious schedule. Um, this is something a lot of people, a lot of new people getting into canoe tripping so that's a big question so yeah. how long should it should it take me to you know every day how far can i go every day and that all depends on everybody and your individual sort of thing but cliff says 15 miles a day is a reasonable average on most northern rivers on a river yes on a river add a down day in five for bad weather being held up that sort of thing windbound uh, the unex- anything unexpected. So for every five days paddling, you should only be paddling for four days. Yes. Right? Yeah. Or expect to paddle for four days. you got to have the rest day in there. Yeah. Uh, I've been on some northern trips where, yeah, you know what? If you're going, 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 at some point you're like, you know what? I just would like to sit and relax for a day. <laughs> I need a rest day, yeah. Yeah. And that those rest days really, like, you know what? That was cool because we got to... You know, we weren't portaging, or if we were portaging, it wasn't portaging a ton of gear, you know. Mm-hmm. We got to explore some and do some fishing or just drift down the lake and do some fishing and, and relaxing or, you know, got a couple extra hours of sleep during the day around the camp, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, definitely add the extra day for your, your, your schedule. Don't go big guns thinking, oh, I can paddle this. You know, I can do 25 kilometers a day, no problem. Yeah. Because if you find out you can't, even on like a week-long trip, that's, that's you know, that extra 10 kilometers a day or uh, miles, I guess he's talking miles, yeah. that extra 15 mi- or 10 miles a day, you know, you're thinking you can do 25 instead of 15, that adds up over a week. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's yeah. seven, 70. And if you have scheduled uh, like a float plane pickup or or if you're expecting to be out on a certain day or you're expecting to be in any high traffic sections or any any areas or risky areas, then it's uh, you really have to be cautious and careful with uh, with your schedule because mm-hmm. you know if you end up say you get windbound for a couple of days and you're like three days late getting out, then suddenly somebody at home is going. Something's wrong. Yeah. Why did he miss his flight out or something like that? Why is the spot tracker not moved in three days? Yeah. Sounds like there's some fireworks. Oh, yes. Canada Day. They're doing the fireworks outside now. Huzzah. I wonder if this is getting picked up by the microphones. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, What's number four here? So, uh, number four is poorly defined responsibilities. So, with this, it's. um, when you have, uh, he talks about, as this case illustrates, even experienced paddlers need a plan. Mm-hmm. For example, one canoe team may always carry the Tundra tarp, 
the Wanagan box, and saw. Another might always bring the cook set, the axe, the first aid kit, and stove. The items are never switched around to camp. It is never switched around. In camp, everyone takes their turn at these chores. Cooks, helper, tarp rigger, fire spreader, fire builder, water hauler, and, and the gopher. On my trips, responsibilities generally last three days. Enough time to develop expertise that will beat the storm. So this is this is so true, and it's uh, and it, uh, I've been on well the uh, Minus Link trip last year. So it, we, we each had our own defined responsibilities. So one person, as soon as we hit land, because we wanted to get to sleep right away, one person was responsible for boiling water for food. Uh, it was always my responsibility to uh, put up the bug shelter. That's all we slept in. We all slept under the same bug shelter. Right. Uh, one guy was, uh, he made the beds. He inflated all the all the uh, therm rests and he put out all the sleeping sleep bags and stuff like that. So everybody had their little chore, their little responsibility, their little task to do. We should go out and watch these fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you need to find responsibilities. And it really comes into play not so much on recreational front country or recreational light backcountry trips with family and stuff. Like it was uh, when I'm on trips with, with my wife and kids, It's uh, I she, she would help out you know with with making meals and stuff but i set up the tent and i set up the the sleeping area and i uh, got the fire going and and she watched the kids because the kids are a full-time job right mm-hmm. and uh but occasionally it'd be like you know okay you're setting up the tent tonight and i'm gonna watch the kids and whatever right yeah so it's, but on backcountry trips it's really critical because if you don't have well-defined responsibilities you get one individual or two individuals who may just kind of stare going hey i guess everybody's busy i'm gonna go for a walk type thing it's like i've been on trips <laughs> like that yeah everybody's got to pull their weight and last thing you need is somebody who's not pulling their weight and that happens when they don't have a clearly defined responsibility yeah, dude, it's your it's it's your responsibility to put the tent every night. Put the damn tent. Up. Yeah, it's, you know it's stuff like that. I right? I don't mind putting up the tents. I don't mind doing the cooking. I don't mind getting the water. I think the only I think my least favorite chore out of everything is collecting the firewood. I don't mind cutting it. I just hate going off oh, and yeah? collecting it. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that I I don't enjoy about. I can't think of anything that I don't enjoy. Like I, it does get tedious sometimes if you're with a couple individuals who, who kind of wander around and hey, it's smoke break time or time mm-hmm. time to open the bar and it's like, dude, don't open the bar. We haven't even set up the tent yet. Yeah, right. Come yeah. on, let's get some stuff done and get some wood on the fire and and get things done so that we can actually sit down, relax, make a meal, and we don't have to go. Oh getting dark i guess we should put the tent up now let's put the tent up let's drag the canoes <laughs> up or yeah, yeah. get yeah. everything settled in get the and you know it, it it's always been my policy that uh the bar doesn't open until the canoes upside down on shore yeah put that sucker away and get the yeah. tent up and then you know maybe then you can start loafing around when right? you're starting just as you're starting to get the fire going for making dinner that's when bars open because everything's done sure by everything's then. done by then yeah, yeah yeah nobody's making a fire when you're trying to put a tent up yeah uh, next one, inappropriate attire. <laughs> <laughs> proper footwear, footwear, uh, proper clothing, yeah. uh, rain, rain gear, that sort of stuff. 
you got to have for the time of year you're going for the location you're going in um you know like everything from bug jackets if you're in early spring mm-hmm. rain jackets if you're in spring or fall uh you know you're not going to bring heavy pants and jackets and everything in the middle of summer when it's going to be you know 80 degrees out you know so shorts or light pants light shirts that sort of stuff you got to have the proper attire or you're just you're not going to be you're not going to be happy at all exactly yeah it's uh, it's it also becomes down to uh inappropriate attire means that somebody on the team if they're if they're doing uh hardcore portage and crocs it's like dude you're becoming a liability to the rest of the team mm-hmm. the rest of us aren't going to be able to finish this trip if you twist an ankle the rest of us aren't going to be able to finish this trip if you you know if if you uh you know get hypothermic because you weren't wearing a proper uh rain jacket or or you know if it's on a cold whitewater trip and and you decide to go as cheap as you possibly can on a two-piece wet uh, dry suit then you're going to get water inside and it's like Look, now we got to stop and got to warm you up. You're becoming a liability. So it's yeah. everybody has to be responsible. And and I, I think on a longer trip, the, the the team has to get together to determine that everybody has an appropriate level of uh, rain gear, bug gear, footwear, proper life jacket, proper proper dry pants, and stuff like that. Right? It's uh, you don't want a trip to go sideways if somebody's yeah. not wearing the right gear. Especially a big thing is footwear, uh, like maybe Gore-Tex socks and stuff to keep your yes. feet warm, Absolutely. especially in the shoulder seasons. Yeah. Because if your feet are freezing or your hands are freezing, like fingers and toes yeah. seem to be the big things. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, you've just ruined, you potentially ruined it for, for everybody. Exactly. You know, somebody's so. going to get hypothermia and, and, uh, it's, it's sure like, you know, life happens, but, uh. And but when things kind of go sideways, that's where the next thing comes in is having a positive mental attitude. Mm-hmm. So, and this is important on any trip and any team makeup. It to if anybody team of four, team of six, whatever, team of two people. If if somebody has a a poor attitude, somebody's grumpy. It uh, makes it tough for everybody. What's that sound? That's a new one. <laughs> We'll ignore the sound. <laughs> Sorry, we're we're in the garage nowadays doing our <laughs> our social distancing recording. We're we're getting a whole new different sounds coming through that. I don't know if they can. Well, of course, being Canada Day, somebody spent an yeah. awful lot of money on fireworks. Oh, there's water running. Sounds like inside the oh, house. Oh, okay. Maybe somebody's having a shower or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so positive mental attitude. So if your canoeing is it has been limited to like lake country and light routes and and easy areas, and you know, you may not realize that uh, some of the areas you're going to, if you're going to go on like a, a bigger adventure, you may not realize how bad things can get on some of these bigger rivers like if you were to do the nahani if you're going to do the des moines river like where you become isolated and and so the water tends to be colder than you expect or or it's buggier than you could possibly have ever imagined so where the positive mental attitude comes in is like if it's if it's just being so horrendous that you can barely survive with so many bugs in the air mm-hmm. that you're every time you you're blinking the mud of your eyes and you're trying to get the mud of your nose and your ears and it comes down to then where if you, you've done everything you can for bug jackets and netting and, and bug tents, when that's still not enough, you have 
you need the backup of a positive mental attitude. You have to think sunny skies, even if it's not sunny sky. You have to be, you need that positive mental attitude. And that's where you, that's where you dig deep and that's where you find energy and, and you can actually energize the rest of the group just by telling some jokes or, or making fun of the situation or whatever. It's uh, that positive mental attitude. I've been on many a trip where that's saved the trip. Oh, definitely. You need, and bugs are the worst. Like I've, bugs don't bother me as much as I used to. So I'll, I'll be zipping through with no bug jacket on and people have bug jackets on and they're just like fit to be tied. Yeah. It's like if you can joke and get them off of that and into a bit of a happier mood. Exactly. That that makes such a difference. Uh You know, even, even at the end of the day, you know, when they've been, they've just had it brutal with the bugs. You know, you go to that extra little distance. You know, you just sit, relax, take it, take a break for a few minutes. Yeah. You know, get in the bug shelter. I'll look after if you if you've got a bug shelter. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll look after getting the the fire going and all that, and get it smoky so that we can both get out here and and whatnot. That really adds that little bit of positive mental uh, atti- attitude to. You know what? I just need this break. He's given me that break. Mm-hmm. Perfect sort of thing. And it energizes the whole group. When somebody yeah. can can come out of a bad situation and and just be happy and energetic and smiling, you can see the energy fill up the rest of the team. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what? This guy's having a rough time and he's happy. What do I have to complain about? Yeah. Let's go. Let's have fun. Get the whole right? group up. Let's eat some bugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make dinner, eat bugs. <laughs> Uh, the next one, following too close or too far apart in rapids. This might be up your alley more than mine, but yes, um, yeah. even fast-moving rivers where there are no rapids, when you're going down rivers and stuff like that, too close or too far definitely makes a difference. It absolutely does. You don't want to be so close that, like if somebody comes up to a beaver dam and that you know, all of a sudden they've got to yeah. get out, you're not ramming into the back mm-hmm. of their canoe. Or if, or if like in Cliff's... Uh, Exclamation earlier with the unreliable back ferry. If in a situation where you're tailgating somebody and you're like, if you have somebody who's a more cautious paddler in the lead and then the uh, gung-ho, you know, balls to the wall kind of, let's go. Then so the lead person is suddenly go, oh, back ferry. He tries the back ferry. He gets run into by the go-getter and that just ruins everything. And then you get two canoes dumped, right? Yeah. Or Or our falls. Exactly. <laughs> then everybody's <laughs> swimming over the falls. Or conversely, if you, uh, and uh, this happened on on the Spanish River last year, two years ago, with the boys. So uh, so uh, the me and Mike, we were paddling along and we looked, We I don't know why we were so far behind, but we could see way ahead that they, they uh, ran up on a rock, slowly tipped sideways, tipped over, and then everything was in the river. And then it took us a while to get down to them so that we just we, we just ran ahead of them and went and collected gear. But if we had been closer, maybe we could have uh, collected the gear sooner. Or maybe we, if the water was deeper, we could have uh, helped them uh, get ashore or something, right? Or, or, or run over them. Or, or run over them. <laughs> but like if we were, maybe they would have been in, in trouble and we would have had a throw bag with rope to get them to safety, right? Yeah. If you're too far back, you're way too late to, for that throw bag. You're racing to get ahead. And then you're risking yourself because you're rushing to catch up. So you got to find that spot that's like the sweet spot. right between, exactly. not too far, but not too close. Exactly, uh, close enough, or sorry, far far enough 
to that, react. That you've got time to react yeah. and close enough that you've got time if something goes. And you're you're able to follow. Yeah. If there's a good a person that's really good at reading the rapids, yeah. then you're following them yeah. perfectly. I remember when we did our whitewater course. Uh, so I remember one incident where a bunch of us tried to ferry, tried to eddy out. Uh, uh, we were we were going down the white water and we were going to ferry out river right and uh, we ended up t-boning so one canoe pulled in really quick and they they eddied out really easily and then we came in a little bit late a little bit low and we t-boned them and then we almost got washed downstream and it's like so that was us falling too close mm-hmm. and we didn't have the proper distance between us and we couldn't react to their eddying out we should have edited out in a different spot or on the opposite side of the river or, or something, whatever might have been appropriate. But it's another case of where you're not doing the right following distance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely got to do that. Uh, what's this next one here? Number eight. Is that mine or yours? Nah, it's yours. Wearing an unzipped life jacket. I'm guilty for this. And I'm not. So I'm guilty for this on hot days on flat water. If I'm on white water, I don't care how hot it is. I'm always zipped up. Mm-hmm. I've got everything zipped and tightened. You know, it's uh but if I'm just on like a calm paddle Ralph Bice Lake or whatever, then I'm I'm going to zip it down a bit just to breathe a bit. And I guess I'm guilty for that. I, I maybe I shouldn't be talking about it because I do do the wrong thing. Oh, we're going to get hate mail now. Yeah. Derek, you know, you should always zip up your life jacket. So it's zipped. It's not zipped, but I do have the buckles done. Now, see, mine has buckles and zip. Yes. So it's buckles on the inside that snap together, mm-hmm. and then a zipper up the front. Yeah. Sometimes I'll bring the zipper down halfway to let a bit of air get towards my chest. Yeah, yeah on really hot days. But the zipper is half up, mm-hmm. and both buckles are done up. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot for that jacket yeah. to be ripped off exactly you and know? with mine when it is da- the zipper is down the buckle is still tight enough that it doesn't ride up on me yeah not any more than it would even with the zipper up yeah so the the buckle is still pretty tight around my around my stomach right so it's not like i have it off or anything like i always have it on mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm always i i can't swim so i am always wearing a life jacket right if you're in white water, you should always be wearing it zipped oh, up. absolutely. You know? I do. On white um, water, I do. In in windy days, bad weather days. Correct. And realistically, you should be wearing it at all times. Yes. But if you're going to ever take the chance of not, you know, um, like it's got to be a really nice day, no wind, Perfect no Perfect conditions. Nothing. Yeah. Shallow water yeah. where you can quickly jump yeah. to shore or, or stand up. I mean, yeah, I know you can drown in two inches of water sort of thing, but, um, yeah, I just, I just can't paddle without a, a jacket on. Mm-hmm. I got to have the life jacket I always, on. I always wear it even when I'm out on guy trips and stuff like that, but I make a special point of wearing it when I'm with the kids, right? Yeah. Like, I'm always wearing it, but I'm, I even have it zipped up when I'm with the kids just because it's like, I don't want to be a bad example for them. I want to see me doing, I want them to see me doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to train them to do the right thing. To do right? the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Number nine. I'm going to let you do this one too. Cause apparently you're a professional at this <laughs> from what I've been told. I don't know where I got good at this. And like I, when I, <laughs> when, when the boys saw me lining up river 
and they were amazed at how good I was at lining the Kunup River because I had a line. I had a painter line off the bow and the stern. Yeah, and I it was That's cut, the easiest. It was cut in the middle, but I had it tied in the middle, easily to be undone if I needed it to, and I just sailed it up the stream like it was a sailboat, and it's just I don't know. It was, it was fun. So, and the, I didn't, so number I didn't nine have is to, inexperience at lining. Yes, sorry, I should have read the line. So it with lining, lining is important. Lining when, especially like down or up river, it's uh, to avoid catching your foot in a rock. Like one of my one of my biggest fears, and I think about it often, is getting a foot caught between rocks and the current mm-hmm. pushing me under. I constantly think about that. So when it comes to river travel, I am more apt when not paddling. When we're, when I'm lining the canoe, I'm more apt to avoid getting in built, you know, above my knees or anything like that, right? And I'm always very careful about how I position my feet. I have a really good pair of of, uh, of uh, water shoes that mm-hmm. really grip rocks, even slippery rocks are really good. So I'm it's uh, just because I have this paranoia of of catching a foot and drowning in the river, right? Here, look at Derek. He's uh, he has drowned in like 18 inches of water, but it's fast moving water. Yeah. So, yeah. Paranoia is good. <laughs> I look at paranoia as a good thing. Absolutely. It makes you extra cautious. Put your guard up. Yeah, yeah. It definitely does. Yeah. But not too much paranoia. Like, I'm not talking like alien paranoia and tinfoil hat stuff, but I'm talking like dangerous river water and slippery rocks. And I wear a, I wear a tinfoil hat every time I paddle just in case. <laughs> if it's a good trip. I don't want to be abducted by aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was funny when I did the... Uh, so when we did the Spanish River, Mike had just bought a brand new canoe. So brand spanking new. <laughs> it was a nice, pretty red yeah. canoe. And uh, so he let me line it because I was good at it. But then he didn't want me to line it because I kept putting it onto rocks. It's like, dude, it's a whitewater canoe. It's like, it, <laughs> so I, I was very careful with this canoe. I tried not to, but you can't help but hit rocks. Yeah. On, especially on the Spanish that year, it was water level was really, really low. low. But uh, there was a, there was a few scuffs on that boat by the time we were done. <laughs> so maybe it's what they're there for is to be used. I know, right? It's a working boat. Is I mean, you look for at that. my canoe right there right? next to you. Yeah, I know. It's like a Michelangelo <laughs> scratches. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, I, I enjoy the lining part of, of, uh, river tripping. Mm-hmm. It's, it, gives you a different opportunity to do something different. It's it's like the same thing for flat water paddling. It's like, oh, I'm looking forward to that portage. Yeah. And as soon as you're on the portage, oh, I'm looking forward to paddling. Paddling. <laughs> so it's the change of things. So when you get into uh, a whitewater section and it's uh, it's too rough, but it's, uh, it's not so bad that you couldn't uh, line it, it's like, hey, this is an opportunity to do something different, something fun. Yeah. 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 So learn how to line. Yes. So those are the nine... Mistakes, cost it could be costly mistakes. Yes, that Cliff uh, Jacobson talks about. You, you have to learn all those things. Um, some of them are specifically to uh, white water, like the the back ferry and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, but uh, definitely uh, learn those. Um, let's take a quick break here. I think we're going to go take a quick peek at the. I want to. The, yeah, <laughs> it's, the it's, fireworks it's, going off, <laughs> and uh, have a quick little quick little break, and we'll be right back with. Uh, uh, reasons why you should get out and paddle. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So we took a bit of a, a break there. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoyed some fireworks. And we have not had this many fireworks in my neighborhood in the 20 years I've lived here. <laughs> you get the odd person in the neighborhood because everybody goes to the big fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Fireworks uh, displays down by the lake and stuff like that. But they're discouraging that this year. But So everybody, I think there are a bunch of people are getting together and pooling their money and there is nice, <laughs> it's non-stop. nice non-stop fireworks displays because there's a couple of times where all of a sudden it just gets really loud and we're like, okay, we'll just wait till that's done and we're about to start recording and then it starts up again. So, so yeah, if you're hearing banging and popping and background, background noises, <laughs> that's fireworks for Canada Day back there. So we're just going to go through it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Some of the displays people are putting out tonight. I know, really a couple cool. of them are really good. I like the, I'm curious what they were so I can buy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's some, well, there was one, two, three, four, five. I know there was at least five really big displays, and then, you know. And you can hear it in the background just, constantly. Yeah. I can hear it now. Yeah. The mic's probably not going to pick it up, but I can hear it now. But then you see other people also, and they'll let off a few. Yeah. And then they're done, yeah. sort of thing, so. Yeah, you see somebody fire off a couple in the backyard, just your neighbors are down the street here, and it's like, oh, that's cute. Yeah. And then you see the guy across the street trying to blow up the world. Yeah. <laughs> I just spent $17,000 on fireworks, and I'm going to light them all off at the same here time. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's good, man. It's good to see that sort of thing. Like I say, there's we, we when the kids were small, we used to go across the park. There's a park right across okay. from us. And we would uh, get a whole bunch of them there. We'd bring a big bucket filled with sand and we prop it in there and light it oh yeah yeah you know yeah. boom 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 the yeah. neighbors would watch and go oh you're doing all that and that's going then in a couple of years after that we went over to friend's house and a bunch of us pooled our money and um blew up a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and now it's just like yeah well oh no we're gonna we're just gonna go to the lake and watch the big town display yeah they do yeah. it right they do it big yeah they got a budget <laughs> That's the more than fifty bucks. <laughs> the biggest one I ever went to it was uh, it was on a school trip. I went to Winnipeg, Manitoba, and we went to a football field, and it was insane. Well, we used to go to the ones down at uh, Ontario Place. Yeah, they used to have some like the Scotia, the Rothmans uh, Fireworks World it was competition. Yeah. It was a competition like, every it was weekend. It was a different and, country. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I didn't. I've never been downtown to see that. But the one I saw in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it was, uh, it was just insane. Like it was, the, the some of the booms you could feel your chest being crushed yeah. by the sound, right? And it was just overhead, and it was like we we're in the like there was thousands of people there, we we're in the middle of the football field, and it was just insane. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like that before. Yeah, when you get that many going, that's pretty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> uh, anyway, back to the, the show. Yes, back to the matter <laughs> at hand. Why you should get out and paddle. Yes. And this is, this is pretty um, good for what's going on right now. You know, good timing for this. Because everybody's all cooped up at home and now everybody's, you know, okay, you can get out and do some paddling and stuff like that. It's starting to get out there. So, you know, everybody's stuck at home. They're all cooped up and cabin fever sort of, sort of thing. Exactly. They haven't been doing much of anything. So, lowers your stress level. Being out on the waters has a calming effect on your brain, help lower your stress levels. You're unplugged. You're you're out away from technology. You're out away from traffic and crowds. You're not in a grocery store. You're mm-hmm. not in a parking lot trying to you know fight over parking. You're just paddling. You're just listening to the dip of the paddle, the the the, the sliding of the water across the hull. It's like ah, seeing some scenery, nature. Let the stress go. Yeah. Boosts your mood. Regular paddling can help lower levels of depression and anxiety. It's great for mental health just to get out there yeah. and, and isolate yourself sometimes and just enjoy the, you know, the, the physical work of actually paddling a canoe. Well, you know, and even if you're in a bit of a current, yeah, you know, just float like along. Yeah. I'll, I'll sit in the back seat and hang my feet over the edge of the canoe. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And just with my paddle, you know, just sort of leaning back, leaning. Stirring a bit. And yeah, to, you know, do a little bit of steering. But if the paddle, if the, if the current's strong enough to keep you moving, you know, your feet are getting nice and cool. Yeah. And actually, when we went, the la- when Trace and I went on our last little trip up Duffins, um, there was a really shallow spot. So I actually sat on the very tip of the canoe, the very end yeah. of, of the, the stern point. And was just sort of, my toes were touching the ground. Like it was okay, that yeah, shallow, yeah. shallow, right? But the current was pretty good. So it was carrying us along. So, and then it got deeper. So I'm sitting right on the end and just dragging <laughs> my, you know, my feet are just right in the water. Yeah. And then it got shallow and I figured, okay, well, I better get in again. Thing. But yeah, just, just, uh, it, it really makes you in that, that happy mood, you know? So it raises, raises your mood <laughs> level being out there. Builds confidence. Set paddling goals. Overcoming challenge builds confidence. Whether you're beginning a beginner tuning up your J-stroke or a paddling pro on a backcountry dream trip. And I've always said that. You know, you push yourself. You make your challenges. You know, you... Um, uh, uh, Unicorn Hill, for instance, in Algonquin. Yep. You know, yeah, you, you can do all these small portages, but you know what? You look at these bigger portages, and Unicorn Hills is massive uphill, downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really want a portage if you don't. But when you get over that challenge, Just you're like, like oh, I can do this. I can do this. Well, if I yeah. can do that, <clears throat> yep. then I can go do. And then there's the other one going from, from Hogan Lake is four kilometers long, a portage. If I can do a four-kilometer portage in one go. I can do anything. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely getting out on the water, setting your goals, your challenges, overcoming those those challenges and reaching those goals, definitely builds your confidence. Yeah, it makes you a better paddler. That, that you when you're not overly confident, like, but if it's valid and earned confidence, then yeah, it's uh, it makes you a, a better paddler and and makes you feel better about yourself. Again, yeah, you, the you mental don't wanna, health aspect. You don't want to mix confidence and cockiness because cockiness <laughs> yeah, is going to be an issue. <laughs> 
works the upper body, increased muscle strength, particularly in the back, arms, shoulders, and chest for moving the paddle against a natural resistance of the water. So it's a good exercise. Yep. Right? Um, you know, back and forth or, you know, kayaking. You're even twisting your lower back. Yeah. You know, that sort core of Core strength. Yep. Yeah. Increase your core strength. Uh, each paddle stroke forward, you rotate your torso, which engages the core muscles, and these muscles help balance your, your canoe and kayak. So it helps you with your balance as well. Increase your leg strength. Kayakers receive an additional benefit of increased leg strength through isometric contractions. Apply a pressure with your legs as you turn and balance your kayak, which causes these muscles to tighten and over time build strength. That's one thing I definitely notice when I'm in the kayak is you start working those muscles a bit You're more. You're pushing against the pedals. Yeah, yeah. and you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, well, no, I'm just using my upper. No, you actually do use your, 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 your legs as well. Uh, protects your joints. Paddling is a low-impact activity, which reduces the risk of wear and tear on joints compared to many other activities. Uh, like, like you say, increasing your leg strength, but you're not, you're not jogging or running, which hammers your knee joints, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. not you're not bang 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 if, with each with each step you're taking on hard pavement or exactly. something like that. Yes. So. And it improves your cardiovascular health. Paddling is a great exercise to elevate the heart rate and improve cardiovascular health. So you know, if you, I mean, if you're paddling, just nice easy. But if you gain some some speed, you know, start to slow down, speed up, slow down. Some really exciting white water. Some white water, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> Paddling against the current, you really got to pick oh, up yeah, your speed to, yeah. to get up there. Then that that all works. Just perfect. Um, yeah, so that's that's all I've got tonight, man. That's all I have. I'm distracted by the fireworks. The fireworks are just so distracting tonight. <laughs> it's like having our own celebration. It's like, welcome to Paddling Adventures yeah. Radio on Canada Day. Yeah, and now that we went outside earlier to uh, check out the fireworks, the uh, garage is now filled with uh, mosquitoes. Yeah, I've noticed a couple of mosquitoes in here now. <laughs> wow. It's got that whole that outdoorsy whole vibe feeling now. Outdoors and backcountry vibe. Why don't you just set a fire over there, would you? <laughs> there you go. Actually, my, my winter stove is just right up here, my tent stove. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of wood right there. Let's light her up. Yeah, let's light her up. We'll get the whole vibe going. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's all I've got for this week. So um, John Van Berger is supposed to be with us next week. Yes, he was supposed to be with us tonight, but... Uh, Somebody's doing some work in, in near his backyard, and they cut his uh, cut his, his internet, internet connection. They yeah. cut the cable, and so he was supposed to get back by maybe eight o'clock tonight, eight, eight or nine o'clock tonight. So he says, "You know what? I'll just join you guys next week." Makes it easy. So mm-hmm. yeah, John uh, Van Berger should be with us next week. Uh, he took a little hiking trip, but ended up paddling, and he wants to talk about a bunch of lightweight gear. Where was? I'll talk after. Yeah. So. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to our show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. All episodes are on our episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio. You can either click the banner on the front page and it'll take you to the episode page, or you can just click the episode page tab at the top, and all 229 episodes are there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends and share it on social media and everywhere else. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.